Welcome to the first episode of Monsters of Design. Our yeah. uh, welcome. Our welcome. It's a uh, <laughs> podcast that our friend, my friend, uh, John Sontag, came to me with. John, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the person idea. you were just listening to—that's Brian Miller over there—and we decided to do a podcast because. It's a pandemic, and we're stuck at home. All we do is talk to each other. So we did we, it. We apparently think we're special. Kidding. Yeah. But we do know a lot of special people in the design, film, artistic, creative community, and we like learning, and we like listening. So we want to have a lot of those people on so we can listen and learn. And the goal is to essentially identify some of those quote-unquote monsters in this industry and how they keep us from doing our best work. So we're going to talk to these people and find out how we can take them down and love them and become friends with them Yep. and show them a better way. (laughs) And for our first episode, we have a Bay Area commercial slash corporate director by the name of Cheryl Isaacson. She runs an outfit called Lincoln Street Studios. They do a lot of work, not just in California, but other parts of the country as well. And so, yeah, we, we brought Cheryl on. Um, I do a fair amount of work with her. We, we brought her on to sort of unpack our first monster, which was Scope Creep. Scope Creep. You know, we talk with Cheryl about her relationship to Scope Creep. John and I chime in a little bit with our experience. And then... We go into a, also a larger conversation around specificity mm-hmm. uh, in filmmaking and and specificity's relationship to quote unquote you know diversity in filmmaking, especially in uh, commercial and corporate spaces. Um, and then yeah. at the end, we talk a little bit about comic books and nerd stuff, but the main focus is definitely on scope creep. We're learning as we go, people. Well, should we do it? Should we? Should we start? Should we start the episode? Let's start the episode. All right, here we go. Okay, I like this. I think the way this just timed, you're gonna. The first thing you're gonna hear on this recording is fucking chaotic. Yeah, I. I saw it. It went at three, two, one, and then Brian finished his sentence yeah, with. Yeah, because they threw me into fucking a chaotic. unstable portal. Um. <laughs> anyway, Cheryl. Thank you I'm so checking, much. I'm checking the, the tracks real quick. Oh, good. I just oh, reset mine, wait for so me. maybe that'll help. Oh, my Lanta. This is not going to be the introduction. So should we should we stop this and then do another one? No. Yeah, just keep it going. Just keep it going? Oh, my God. Okay, should we? Let's just let's just. We'll do it live. <laughs> just like, oh yeah, whatever. Okay, cool. Um. So, John, do you want to... Uh, introduce us what are we what are we doing here so this is the very first monsters of design podcast and brian and i decided to do this podcast more i convinced brian yeah, to help me do this podcast me. you I threw me in the back of a trunk drove because... me up to a mountaintop mm-hmm. yep and threatened my life if i didn't yep do it, it worked and it worked it, worked. it was very effective Paid off. Today, our first guest 
is uh, a Bay Area director, a corporate commercial director. The woman, the legend. <laughs> oh, I've already Cheryl snorted. Isaacson. Oh, damn. <laughs> Filmmaker. I mean, you got you can't leave that out. Filmmaker extraordinaire. Made some amazing films. And fun fact helped me get started. She's the reason why I quit my job a long time ago. Oh, dear. And started freelancing. And uh, I'm so excited that you're the first guest. Yeah, she got my help get me my start, too. I um, Yeah, because of you, I am in the film world. Yeah, I have a way of dragging um, people in. I don't throw them in trunks. You do. That's not <laughs> you, my MO. I was going to but... say, you, didn't, you, you dragged me behind the car. I wasn't in the trunk. <laughs> Fair. But you're like, God damn it, Brian, we're going on a tech scout. And I was like, what? What's a tech scout? <laughs> she just offers us really good coffee. That's yeah. how. Yeah, she's I like, remember that. I remember really good coffee. Some pour overs in your studio. I'm pretty sure that you had yep. something like that going no, on. No, for sure. <laughs> oh, man. You guys so, had me at yeah, Mod Pod. But... I don't know why I'm calling it that, but that's <laughs> happening. I love it. You coined that. That was That's from yeah. you. Well, I was abbreviating it, and then Mod I was Pod. like, wait. It's... I hope that catches on with the kids. All the cool kids are doing it. it, uh, uh, it no, this, this is super um, fun. Thanks for having me on, you guys. Um, I... I feel like uh, you both have been like a part of my circle in at different times. And it's, I, I feel like this hasn't been a conversation that we've had, like getting the three of us in a room together. Uh, but uh, I do love the approach of us all as designers. Um, I actually got my start as like a, you know, more classical uh, print designer, graphic designer. And then art direction and and all of that and um, and it was kind of my like designer's approach to the world that that sort of um, informed how I got into um, filmmaking too and uh, yeah it's been a been a fun journey in those two worlds of kind of design and filmmaking and how they intersect and yeah as a filmmaker how are how is some of that design thinking showing up? Uh, you know, it's funny. It's so organic. I kind of don't even like think about it. I think what might be helpful, uh, John is out the gate. What, what are you defining as, as design thinking? Just get, give yeah. us a framework for that. Just so totally. I have some rails. I mean, I think, and I think all three of us can even attest to like the the many phrases that are out there, including design thinking, tend to become so blurry. Um, like we just did, we're working on some stuff at at YML, the agency I'm working for, and you know, even a word like content can become blurry. Like it means everything, so it means nothing. Design thinking it means everything, so it means nothing. So I think you know what I've always gravitated towards, and I I think maybe a better way of saying design thinking is just problem solving. And that like really, you know, around the time where I did quit my first job to fully do freelance uh, was when I was reading Mike Montero's Design as a Job book. And I've probably talked to you about that so much, Cheryl, because I was obsessed with it. But it was great because it really made me see design as more of a blue collar job than it was uh, like this elite job. And I say that loosely because I have so much respect for people that are breaking their back to, to you know, pull in a day's wage 
it's not easy and and we're sitting at our desks but we need to have that same mentality we need to roll up our sleeves we need to do the work um and we need to solve problems and not just try to make things look pretty and i think that to me that's design thinking what are we trying to do what are we trying to accomplish what are we trying to solve are we doing it right um are we looking out for people while we're doing it um and i think that comes across through design and filmmaking. And so I think that's the design thinking that stretches across all of these industries. Yeah, I really resonate with what you're talking about as far as um, the the kind of like roll your sleeves up, blue collar quality of it. I got into graphic design right at the cusp of the digital era. So I spent my my internship was at a drafting table. Extremely tactile work and really it was drilled into me by my mentors that like this is a trade you're an artist who is in a trade and um and really that work ethic and i've i found as i have transitioned from you know for years i was full-time designer but as i have transitioned into um filmmaking commercial and and narrative um that has done me well because there is a there's there's a very tactile quality to what we do and it's physically moving things and people you know in space um Mm -hmm. and uh the other prong of my career is i was an installation artist and just this idea of creating physical environments was like lifting my design work off the screen and off the drafting table and into reality um Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, I, I, I love that quality of the work that we do. There's, it's just, it's tactile. It's like everything you touch had to be designed. Mm, totally. Yeah. It all ladders up to that ultimate goal and every little thing can push you more towards that narrative. I think that you're trying to tell. Um, and that's the, that's the other phrase that we all like to say, storytelling. storytelling. <laughs> so it's all blurry these days. Yeah. But it, but it, I think that is, it's that narrative, you know, I think there's, how do we solve the problem through a narrative mm-hmm. and, and what form of what medium are we using to, to solve it and tell that narrative? Um, so speaking of that, uh, when clients hire us to do that narrative, sometimes the scope can creep. It can grow. It's like one of those, was it the sea monkeys that grow? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Did sea monkeys grow? Am I inventing that? Do you, do you know what I'm uh, talking there about? Was totally Aren't they the tiny monkeys. little... And was their growth? They're like invisible, though, right? Do they start invisible? They were basically just I, compressed I don't really know. sponges. Can you, can you see them? And, and then, then they, they just, like get big, right? Yeah. Okay, there we go. Oh, so, that's what you're talking about. They're like things you put water on. Those aren't sea monkeys. Those are just... Well, they used to have ones called sea monkeys. And they were really just like a compressed sponge thing. Yeah. Those were fun, though. Yeah. Yeah. If you send in enough box tops, (laughs) you can get a sea monkey. Exactly. Hold on, guys. Let me Google this. Oh, no. Um, (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But but I think of of scope creep as a sea monkey. You know, it's just... It's just this little, little, little thing in your fish tank, and you're like, I can, I can hang with this. It's just a cute little guy. I can do this, and then you know the sea monkey, and then the sea monkey fucking grows, and you're like, oh, turns into a monster, 
oh shit yeah and then then it breaks out of the tank mm -hmm. so now you have like a really hungry sea monkey it's broken out of its tank it's out of control and like john said it's a monster yeah, yeah. so with our first episode we have to slay that monster we're gonna fucking kill it that's the last time i think i'm gonna say that phrase because i feel like it's gonna get really cheesy <laughs> yeah I, well and i, I keep saying so that. i have a challenge on that <laughs> i don't know that all monsters need to be slayed i'm interested there in taming go. the Perfect. monster mm -hmm. so couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I, same and we, we talked about this. Well, that, we, and I think that's what's perfect is like, yeah. there's this idea, like we do start with the concept of these things are monsters to us in, in these fields, in this industry. Um, and we talked about this a little bit before the, the podcast where, you know, whether we're taming them or we're taking responsibility for letting these things become monsters. How do we do that? Mm -hmm. And there's so many different things we could tackle, so many different mm -hmm. monsters we could go after. But you know, for this one, scope creep. Like, I, sure, I'm curious. Like, how can you elaborate on that? Like, how, how would you tame this monster per se? Yeah, I mean, just in thinking about this, it, it was a funny thing because I was like, oh, I don't have a. I, I initially thought, oh, I don't have a lot of thoughts about this. Like, this was a, um, this was a more early in the career problem for me. It was a huge problem, actually. Um, but then as the more I thought about it, I was like, no, actually, this, this is a thing. Um, and I feel like early in my career, um, scope creep was, and I think of it as, I think of it as creepy. This is a creepy monster to me. It like, like it kind of <laughs> sneaks up on you. Um, but I feel like in some ways there was, you know, there was an environment, especially when you're, when you're young in your career, there's this environment that, that sort of feeds the monster, but then it also, it, it feeds off your own sort of insecurities, um, your own desire to please people, mm -hmm. to be seen as a um, yep. problem solver. And, yep. you know, some of this is, is layered with like gender too. You know, as a young woman mm -hmm. in a very like male dominated field, um, initially it was really hard for me to, to not say yes when I shouldn't say yes and to put boundaries in place. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and to understand my own work enough to know how to, how to frame it in such a way that this creep wouldn't set in. Um, mm -hmm. and so the more I think about it, like if you had talked to me, 20 years ago, this client, or this, this conversation would have been about clients. It would have been about the people that we are, you know, ultimately in our trade accountable to and who, and the people that we're working with. And I kind of would have put the onus on them, mm -hmm. but I've come to realize that, man, that I was feeding that monster early on, mm. you know? Um, Mm -hmm. totally. Yeah, I still feed it. I still give him little <laughs> snacks from my hand. I'm like, "Hey, bud. Um, yes, yes. I'll say grow. yes. Of course, I can do that. Hand that in. End of day today. Yes. <laughs> He's like mine. Yes. <laughs> well, it's eagerness and it's ego. Urgent deadlines. Yes. It's, it's ego yes. too. It's like we want to be seen. Yeah. As like having 
we want to be seen as the one with the solution. And, mm-hmm. totally. and I kind of feel like, you know, I just keep coming back to this idea, John, because you always bring things around to design thinking. This is where it can lead us astray. Because mm-hmm. if, if our ego tells us that we need to be the one to solve, you know, XYZ problem, whether it's in scope or not, then we're going to get creeped. And it's yeah. not sustainable. <laughs> it's not sustainable as a lifestyle, totally. for sure, to hang out with that mm-hmm. monster. Yeah. And I feel like that whole like ego part and wanting to be the problem solver is like missing the mark. And I think our job is not to be the problem solver, but to be the person that helps find the solution. It doesn't have to come from us. If anything, like some of the best designers know, like they're not fine. They're not the one birthing that solution. They're just good at finding it. And a lot of times the clients are the ones that have the solution. You just have to help pull it out of them. Yeah. And then let it shine, you know? Yeah. But that's, that's hard to let go of. When you're, you know, fresh out of college and you're bursting at the seams with ideas, um, finding a way to, like, uh, be grounded in that way. Um, I know Mm -hmm. one thing I always say to myself is you're not your work. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's a whole... This is one of those careers that's really hard to work yep. against that because a lot of us are defined by our portfolio super sensitive yeah. people who like yeah our work to look pretty and, and make people happy well and just we self-identify with that work right one. and that's that's where mm-hmm. the ego comes totally. in it's like they ask you to do you know i'm thinking specifically of like graphic design like id work you know asking you to do iterations mm-hmm. that are out of scope or or reiterate some something that's already been gated and yeah. your your own sense that I, my name is attached to this i want you know fill in the blank whatever but this is my mm-hmm. work um and yeah. that you're you're somehow your life force is imbued in that in some way um i think can mm-hmm. lead to yeah it can lead to an acceptance of a kind of project mm-hmm. creep that doesn't benefit you know anyone what are some of the things that have helped you tame the monster <laughs> by being proactive and engaging with it and, and sort of taking that responsibility upon yourself? You start to see that the client may need more. You might think, oh, they only agreed to do this. Now I have to, we don't realize that that's a potential opportunity to just make more money or to ask to just ask for help if you're in-house, you're not really you know, making more money unless you see it as an opportunity to progress in your career and get a raise or promotion. But how can we do that? What are those practical ways that we can engage with it in in a productive way to see it actually grow in a positive direction? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I kept, as I was thinking about this, I kept coming back to this internal and external. So the internal things that are, that are, feeding the monster getting in our way are those insecurities is that ego um but then there are external things that feed it too Mm -hmm. and some things that you can't control you know there's there's clients who um who allow like especially if it's like a marketing department you're working with by the way uh just 
in, in interest of clarity, I've been a freelancer um, my whole career. Um, and I currently own a production company um, and also uh, direct as a freelance uh, commercial director for agencies as well. Um, whereas uh, John's been, you know, I mean, you could speak for yourself, but you've been in and out of freelance. Mm -hmm. um, and Brian, yeah. you're primarily freelance. Yeah. 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 I'm a freelance yeah. boy. So that's, that's kind of our, it, just <laughs> to help title. you to like frame. Yeah. Um, but what I find is that um, there's the ego of the client too. Like sometimes the client self-identifies with the creative and they're using it as a vehicle for their self-expression. Um, really mm. important to identify that early. How do you even, gosh, how do you even like scent that, sniff some of that out? Oh, how do you sniff that out? Um, experience? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh, the, sometimes the answer is just experience. Is there, um, do you think there's a sense of like, uh, relate like trying to relate on some level like say you have like you know you're working with a cmo and they are they're new mm -hmm. and they are trying to push forward a brand refresh and the designs and the videos and the photos and whatever they're producing they're so in love with their idea that it's hard for them to step outside of that and realize they could actually expand what they're doing without going outside of this brand that they've recently identified, but they're so in love with their idea. Like, I feel like maybe there's situations like that where you're like, there's some major ego going on, but I totally get it because I've had that for sure where I've been so in love with my idea. So maybe there's a way to like, figure out how to walk alongside that person and, and what are the things that maybe have helped us, you know, figure that out along the way so that, you know, things don't balloon out of control. Yeah. I think in that instance, um, it, I, you said something really key and it's, it's the alongside. Mm -hmm. um, my goal with every client is you begin the relationship in a negotiation, right? You begin with the part that all of us as artists hate. What's this going to cost? What's our, you know, what's our contract? And in that moment, you're sitting on either side of the table and you're, you're negotiating back and forth. But then once that contract is signed, and sometimes even in the process of that, my goal is to have us be sitting on the same side of the table. And mm -hmm. we're, we're no longer in opposition, you know, don't meet ego with ego. Um, yeah. Yeah. but a, a lot of times inside that client who is, has that ego is a story. And so I'm, I'm looking for that story. And I just thought of one that's, totally. that's so dumb that I think it's actually helpful. Um, Sad. so <laughs> I, I often, I will work with a, a same director of marketing as they move from company to company. You know, it's really common mm -hmm. for people to change jobs and they want to bring in their, yeah. their external um, creatives that they like. And so I'll, yeah. I'll bounce with somebody onto the next. And 
with this one, this is years ago, thankfully nobody you guys know, but um, I noticed a pattern that this person, um, uh, we'll call him Fred because it's funny. Um, Fred, Fred loved purple Fucking Fred. and really felt like the, the whole brand ID of his latest project was just this intense purple palette with like shards of yellow, like really into that, um, that complimentary contrast. New company mm -hmm. comes in, you know, brings him in. He wants to turn everything on its head. And I start seeing that the only things he likes are purple, that literally that's his thing. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what company. So that, that you see, there's a story there, right? Um, yeah. the, the success or the regrets of the last experience have become imbued in that color. And his, you know, uh, I love clients dearly. I really do. They're great people, but they're not, they're, they're paying us for a reason and they're not necessarily attuned to some, to, they're not necessarily going to be aware that they're doing the purple thing every time, you know, it's just not necessarily going to occur to them. And, and so getting to the heart of that story in a gentle way was helpful in that instance and that success can look like, you know, Hey, client, Fred, you're, you've got great ideas. Like let's, let's color outside the lines of your last company a little bit. And <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to really let you ideate a lot in the beginning of this process. And that gets to that gets to another like taming thing too. And I think John, you're you're um, you and I have talked about this. Mm -hmm. That idea of the funnel, right? Like ideate all that stuff out before you get to the point where you need to be reductive in your process. Right. Totally. And that's where I think the inverse can happen. Where if you don't do that at the beginning, you start to spiral, and then it's it's a different kind of scope creep. It's not that you they just want like you know, more designs, more shots, more edits, more whatever. It's that they want more options. And I think yeah. that, that can show itself all the way through the production process. You know what I mean? Like you, along the way, more mood boards, more storyboards, more, more prototypes, more whatever. And it, mm. But it happens in a way that, that expands because that initial you know, brainstorming experimentation is not happening up front. It's happening throughout the process in a way that's not beneficial. You, you can allow for experimentation to happen as long as that, that initial sort of let's talk through this and work through it at the beginning phase. Yeah. I'm always keeping an eye on that funnel. Like really one of the conversations I have with clients, whether it's design or film or whatever is okay, here at the beginning during this creative development phase, I want to hear every crazy idea. And I don't yeah, want you yeah, to gatekeep totally. out people who may throw a wrench in our works. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I've noticed in um, some of our amazing tech clients, there's a, there's a sort of issue just with bandwidth where the sort of mid-level marketing team 
oh, don't show it to, you know, so-and-so at the top of the chain until we're really, until we're really solid. We've really got something that we're about ready to, mm-hmm. you know, press out. And, um, yeah. invariably a team that's doing that, that's, that's doesn't want people to see the work until it's further developed, at least from my perspective on, you know, corporate video right now, um, invariably that person with a lot more power will come in and throw that, that, uh, creep in because they weren't consulted. They weren't allowed to be at the top of the funnel. I've, I've just become very plain speaking about that. And I'll ask at the beginning of the project, who's the decider? Not who's Mm -hmm. on paper as the decider, but who's, um, Mm. who's genuinely the decider. And the answer is, you know, invariably somebody who I did not think was the decider. And um, it's such good information to know. I mean, just in terms of, you know, continuing with the like taming conversation, just knowing that um, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like just, again, and it turns back to like what has what is our responsibility? And if it, if our responsibility is to make the best thing we can make the most effective thing we can make, ultimately that person who's going to have final say is probably going to have some pretty good insight into that. That's most likely why they are where they mm-hmm. are. And so getting to know the people starting with that person and, and what they've done, what has worked for them, what they gravitate towards and just pushing towards that, I think is, is a good way to avoid a lot of those, the, the surprise stakeholder, you know, at the end that would cause some of that creep. Yeah. <laughs> surprise stakeholder. Um, there it is. There it is. That's the name. One thing yeah. that's become a really big deal for me too in taming the creep is um, I think early on when I was younger, I was nice. And especially women, you know, mm. we're, we're cultured, like we're, we're told to be, you know, we're brought up to be nice. And I have, I've developed this, this mantra of kindness. I'm super kind, Mm. but I'm, but kind is honest. And, um, and niceness will get you into project creep because again, you're, Mm -hmm. you're protecting your own ego, your own feelings. You're also avoiding things. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would say good designers don't play nice. We play kind. You know, totally. That's great. That's awesome. Super cool I'm because it doesn't change the like <clears throat> the empathetic, caring. I think vibes that you have to bring to the table, but it does correct what's wrong. You know, with a lot of I think what we're talking about. Um, I think uh, it would it'd be kind of cool. I I feel like what's awesome about this, like the scope creep one is it it's a great first episode because it does like like open up a lot of opportunities to address different things um because i think so many of those other monsters like this is like the head boss like this is mm-hmm. this is that villain at the end of the video game that you finally get to and it takes you like a thousand hours to beat because everything else oh, ladders up to it a thousand you know? hours it's a thousand <laughs> that's the number Brian, I know. Video games. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Well, I love, so what you're saying, John, 
um, in our scope creep episode, is there a possibility that the scope might be creeping as we want to talk about more things? Oh so meta. You know, so I just... Galaxy Amazing. Brain. This is Galaxy yeah, Brain yeah. shit. <laughs> or it's the edible. I'm not sure. For me, learning to love the monster is about... Like, I've kind of put these taming things, and it's taken me years. Um, you know, I, there was a point at which I feel like our contract got new things added to it with every, like, monster <laughs> that attacked us. But, um, mm-hmm. but these days, it feels like our scope is clear going into a project. And um, the creep is often, like, an affirmation that we're on the right track. And it, it's often a thing of, oh, we really like this. Can we, can we leverage this into more? And, mm-hmm. and my answer to that is yes, uh, we'd love to do that. And there's a cost structure in place that makes sense yeah. that really is easy for you to understand how you can get more. Um, and, uh, and so I've, I've learned that like um, – that that creep in terms of it tends to be more in like deliverables or an expansion of creative, but um, that it can be a sign that the work is resonating and that you're mm. that you're you know syncing with the client and giving them what they want, and so that's the kind of creep I want. That's the that's the monster I want to love. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's no button on it for me. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the ultimate goal. Yeah, no, I, it's so funny. I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, to be blunt, I, I am still acquiring the wisdom and experience both of you have. And, um, right now I'm kind of at the stage of like thinking of scope creep in terms of a problem. Mm. Um, but, you know, hearing you talk about it in that, through that lens, um, I think that's a very helpful way to uh, think about it. It's like, hey, you're doing great work. We want more. Yeah. We'll pay you for it. I think what's and cool I, about that too is that I feel like because of Cheryl, we now have like the how-to slay a monster. And it's, so it's breaking Cheryl, it down, yeah. taming it, and yeah. loving it. Cheryl, you're going to write a book Yeah. about Yeah. <laughs> I started making notes the other day and I'm like, oh dear, I have way too much to say about this. Yeah. Y'all are going to have to edit me somehow. Yeah, it'll, it'll just start it's with perfect. 20 pages, <laughs> a 20 page manifesto, and then it might creep up to oh 350 pages. I don't know. All of the fun with puns we're having, this is great. <laughs> How else am I going to get my serotonin, John? I'm <laughs> I need to get it from somewhere. <laughs> I hope people realize my... that they're not coming coming here to laugh with us. They're coming here to laugh at us. Especially they, me. It's just as good. But, yeah. you know. No, I mean, we, we all, all laugh at Brian all the time. So that's... A thousand yeah, percent. That's good. Yep. I yep. am the court jester. <laughs> um, AKA producer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well... Aren't we one and the same? Exactly. exactly. Um, but yeah, John, so back to <laughs> yeah, our yeah. earlier point. No, totally. I, I'm glad that we, we kind of wrapped it up with that. I think that was super important. 
Um, but I also think it, it's really cool, you know, when we have people on like yourself, Cheryl, to, to you know, kind of hear what else is really like pressing, like what, you know, beyond this sort of idea of what the monster is. Uh, what it, what feels current to you as an issue, something that you're, you're trying to tackle or speak to or, you know, preach about really, you know, to your colleagues and, and people you work with uh, in the industry. Uh, I think we're, we're just excited about learning from, from people like yourself along the way throughout this podcast. Yeah, I, I appreciate um, being asked to think about this because I feel like there's always something that I'm kind of latched on to. Um, I would say that currently, I want to articulate this well because I think, um, you know, full disclosure, I'm a white woman. So uh, I I want to just acknowledge that I have a, you know, I, I have a place of um, like privilege, lived privilege in the way that I navigate these things. But um, for me, the thing I'm working against is, uh, I think we've all discovered that diversity for diversity's sake, diversity as in, you know, just put the rainbow, uh, a rainbow of people is not, um, is not representation. And, um, for me, it gets to this idea of specificity and, um, and I feel like I'm always having this conversation with clients that whose natural instinct is self-preservation. You know, our, our clients are in a tough spot. They have a lot of, um, a lot of metrics now on the things that we create that directly impact them. And they have a lot of voices telling them how they should be doing things. And sometimes that results in um, a sort of reducing our, our stories, scenarios, um, visuals down to the most palatable, the most sort mm-hmm. of generic in hope of getting to universal and they they're interpreting universal as non-offensive they're hoping to just like not get any bad tweets they're hoping to not get Mm -hmm. any negative feedback and i think one of the things as creatives we need to do is start modeling how to how to tell stories that are universal and how that requires bravery um, and it requires specificity. And I, I think one of the ways to think about it is like, you know, a, a childhood movie you adored, like I'll say E.T. Um, it probably impacted, just knowing you two are nerds, probably impacted you both pretty <laughs> emotionally, you know, as, oh, as little mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. Now, does your bicycle fly? It does not. Have you ever met an alien? You have not. That story was 100% specific to those characters and everything about it was absolutely 100% who those characters were in that story. Um, But yet 
universally, it just gets us. It, it gets us in the heart. But if it if it has that that sort of goal of being um, non-offensive, being kind of palatable, mm-hmm. then it's not universal and you don't feel it. And what we're learning is that um, we, as humans, we need stories and we need to feel things. And so getting, getting in the place with clients in corporate and commercial spaces where they realize that specificity is, is how you get to universal, I, mm. I feel like has been my like mantra for the last several years. And what that looks like for me is like, um, if we're, if we're telling a story of, you know, somebody in their home cooking, well, that person, you know, could be in a wheelchair, genuinely Mm -hmm. an actor who lives their life in a wheelchair is what they're doing any less relevant to you and I, it is not, we all cook dinner. Right. But the specificity of that story connects us to things outside of ourself, but also connects us to ourselves. And a lot of our work centers around tech. And um, yep. so one way that this, this kind of works itself out in um, my creative work is just this narrow idea of what a person who uses tech looks like. Like just, just picture that in your mind for a moment. <laughs> Yeah. Through all of the advertising, you know, all it's mm-hmm. a San Francisco living, hip, um, mostly white, but you know, well, there's a little a little bit of like color diversity in there, but um, it's a yeah. it's really a monolithic view of a person who uses a smartphone or uses other kinds of tech, and in my work, I'm, I'm just pushing against that. It requires that we, that we stop knowing and stop centering Mm -hmm. our own stories and, and, and creating norms that are our own stories. And it requires us to be curious. And it, from, Mm -hmm. it's weird for me, it almost just cycles back to the ego conversation that we had earlier. (laughs) Yep. Totally. Yeah. It's not, it's not up to us to, to birth that solution. <laughs> I mean, so much like, of it is getting, we have to go help find it. Like we're not, yeah. And get, know, get out of the yeah. way. Up to us. Find get it. Out of the way. Yeah. yeah. Find it, find somebody and then get the fuck out of the way <laughs> and That's try, try to, <laughs> you know, try to create ways to, um, help them drive it. Um, mm-hmm without fucking getting your ego yeah dragging it in the middle of the road like it's a roadkill or something you know sorry but i i just um that's well put in my mind yeah and i love brian that you just like tripled the fuck quotient of this pod yeah just (laughs) it's not just making sure i mean that r rating that's really where you want to live anyway so i might i might show some boob later on our oh yeah, we're gonna get. I have no rated at <laughs> so much more cred. Let's. Uh, I'm gonna put the explicit content from when I used to buy CDs because I'm old. 
Oh. Days. Yeah. 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 Oh, I remember those. Those were the those cool things. albums. Those discuses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the plural of discus? Discuses? Um, I think it's just discs. I think it's just discs. Is it just man. discs? Just, just throw an S on discs. there. Discs. Discs. It's what? not complicated. Discuses. <laughs> I think we've reached the Brian is stoned portion of the episode. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> so, will that Rowan. be like the signal when the when the pod the pod ends when the edible hits? Is that where we're at? Oh no, the edible hit like <laughs> the countdown. Yeah. Thirty minutes uh-huh. ago, <laughs> definitely. Oh, awesome. oh my goodness! Love it. But it was um, great. I'm so glad that um, you guys are taking these topics on because um, I feel like there's there's a sort of a whole category of um, podcasts and information that feel a little bit like we've arrived, here's how to do it. Mm-hmm. And this feels yep. more like, um, we're curious, let's listen, which I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely. Sontag. Yeah. Sontag. <laughs> his last name is Sontag, John Sontag. Yes, it so is. just a random word I made up. It's true. Um, <laughs> so does the guest get to do a wreck at the end? Are we doing that? Hell yeah. Yeah, please. Um, just, I was just thinking about this idea of specificity and, um, I happened to watch, uh, an episode of the, and this is like, I'm such a cliche designer at this point, like just umbrella of mercy. Right. But, um, I was watching, uh, abstract on Netflix, the second season. Mm-hmm. Tell us what is abstract? Uh, it's a design. Did you say what is documentary that? series? Oh man, Brian! I haven't. I told you, I'm not a designer, oh, but I am. Yeah, but it's you got to check it out. Yeah. It's amazing. You not knowing what that is okay. is going to make John's comments blow up. I'm I'm here for it. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. good. I'm here to cause chaos. But uh, I watched the one on Ruth Carter, whose work I just absolutely adore. Um, but it was mm-hmm. so great to see the context for her work. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, she was, um, she's a costume designer, um, mm-hmm. kind of got her start, uh, in films working with Spike Lee. Um, but she won an Oscar Ooh. for, um, uh, what do you call it? Panther, Black Panther. Oh, her. Nice. Fuck gotcha. yes. Yeah. Okay. I know who you're talking it, it's about. It's just an amazing yeah. episode. And, um, I find I get so much inspiration from watching, or learning about people from other design disciplines. And, um, Mm -hmm. I just, I just feel like she, she is the specificity queen. I mean, that's really what costume is. It's finding the precise story that, that is exactly right to help that person embody, you know, that character. Um, totally. Anyway, so true. You can put a link. That's link awesome. In the I have not seen that episode. I need to go That's see that. So good. The cinematography is. Too. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. It's it's. That's like if you want to make a creative documentary, that's the bar, yeah. in my opinion. That's how you do it. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Um, I do feel like we should, for the very final thing, because it will make Brian and I very happy, and it'll be a fun thing to do at the end. What is your favorite 
superhero. So it's the inverse oh, of the monster. Shit. Favorite superhero and why? You guys are going to have to go first. I, I actually, this is catching me off guard. I got to think about this. Well, maybe Brian and I kick it off with the most recent comic book we've read. Mm. Oh! And then our guest can let us know either what the most mm. recent comic is that they read or their favorite comic hero. I think that would be a good little mm. fun outro. How about you, Brian? What's the, or what are you currently reading? Because I know you and I are what always I'm currently, currently reading the reading. comic. I'm currently reading uh, Jason Aaron's run on Avengers. Um, nice. It's one of the more recent runs, and it resulted. Um, I went off roading into some Moon Knight, consumed a lot of Moon Knight, mm -hmm. um, which is a funny sentence out of context. <laughs> um, Oscar Isaac will be playing him in the Disney Plus series. Um, and I pivoted to this Avengers uh, uh, run because it at some point heavily features Moon Knight. So I am driving to that point. Nice. That's awesome. I'm John, currently reading. I, I cannot remember the writer and artist, but it's a, a graphic. No it's the Dune graphic novel that I think came out recently. Um, oh. It's book one. I can't remember though, but it's really awesome. It's great. The art is amazing. Um, but I'm going to switch over to my favorite superhero because it's always been Superman. And uh, he's a, I'm really excited yeah. about the new uh, show that's out. I know a lot of people in the comic fandom are very excited about it as well. The cinematography is amazing. And I feel like his story has gotten lost so many times, and so many people have just been like, "He's like, he's like super strong and like really awesome." And so like, I, let's talk about him that way. But he's like, me. why yep. Christopher Reeve is so amazing yep. and, ha and represents a lot of the early comics is because he's like so awkward and so sensitive and like a dork and like a it's himbo, perfect. He's himbo. so like gentle and like caring and like no ego like there's just none but he still ha he still struggles like everybody else and so i think that's like even though he's like so good on those levels powers aside he still struggles and that's like it's just amazing and he's always been, like since i've been like a little kid i've been drawing like superman and that has always stuck with me and i think because of christopher reeve and so this new superman and lois i feel like the writing is is really good, and they're capturing that in in a really cool way. So that's my favorite. Yeah, seriously, shouts to Superman and Lois. Um, if you're not watching it, it's basically uh, Friday Night Lights, but Clark Kent raising his kids with Lois Lane. Yep, it's exactly it's great. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, for do you, Cheryl? Do you have an oh, answer? I'm, I'm gonna. I'll give yours? you a smart ass answer, and I'll give you one. Um, uh, Ava DuVernay is my favorite superhero. <laughs> oh! Nice. There you go. Well, there yeah. you go. I mean, I was going to say Batman, but she's, she's basically, basically yeah, she's basically Batman. Uh, so that's, that's my snarky answer. Um, <laughs> yes, I fucking I love think, it. and this is going to sound, I, f I feel like I'm falling into a cliche here, but I do like 
especially the first iteration of Wonder Woman, uh, Patty Jenkins Wonder Woman. Um, I'm, I'm not yeah. a comic nerd, uh, but you know I've watched the superhero stuff over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's something about her, like sort of combination of like ancient and and wise and sort of outside the patriarchy that I I thought was really mm-hmm. well communicated. Um, and her, her just sort of seeing through things, you know, sort of seeing through constructs, I find to be really interesting. Yes, Wonder Woman has been problematic and there's been, you know, weird versions of her out there. So specifically the, the first in the trilogy that came out a couple years ago was, um, kind of my favorite superhero. And then just consistently, um, I love Mark Ruffalo's Hulk. I just, the the combination of rage and tenderness that he embodies Mm -hmm. in that character. Um, I, I really just, whenever he's on screen, I just love, it's so well done. Mm -hmm. It taps into my love of Bill Bixby's, um, Hulk when I was a kid. And so, yeah, yeah, for sure. It like I was thinking about that the other day because it, it it was like remind I was watching uh, I forget which one but uh, one of the Avengers and it was just reminding me how much it like what it felt like to read those comics mm-hmm. as a kid about yes. Hulk and like and watch that show as well and yeah totally same page he's so good and I, uh, Wonder I'm Woman excited to see him. G-Hulk. Yes, Wonder Woman. Ryan, you should lend Cheryl your Dead Earth. Oh, Wonder Woman Dead Earth. Yes. Oh my god. That's a great version of Wonder Woman. So anybody, yeah, John and I read this. Um, Shouts to uh, uh, Wonder Woman Dead Earth. It's Mm -hmm. a it's a basically Wonder Woman in a post-apocalyptic DC world. Oh, interesting. With like radioactive mutants Mm -hmm. and stuff, but it's great. Yeah, but the whole thing is like, it's not, it still centers her kindness and her compassion mm-hmm. and her decency. And challenges it big time. Yeah, really. Oh, it's yeah. great. Um, yeah, you know, I just watched Wonder Woman last night. Uh, I uh, just revisited it. And that, Cheryl, I, re- I really resonate with that. She has that wisdom to her. And then that, like, hungry curiosity that makes her seem like Mm -hmm. not childlike that's the wrong word but there's almost an innocence but she's not yeah it's the it's the innocence of like it's almost like the other side you know like where um yoda has it right it's the Mm. it's the innocence of wisdom that appears naive and i feel like yeah she she plays in the same that's really well said yeah. i like that yeah that's awesome yeah no. um my favorite we checked all the boxes we, we just totally checked all the nerd boxes we did. Yeah. this is great wait i need to tell you about my favorite superhero um, yes my favorite everybody's like god damn it brian um <laughs> my favorite superhero 
is Batman. I'm a slut for Batman. I just wanted to wow, say Wow, we got the, the three classics right here. This is amazing. Yeah, I know. Kicking it off. Dude, the, the Trinity. What a bunch of basic um, bitches we are. Look at us. I know. Oh, and, God, what? And we're keeping what? it DC. Yeah, I don't even I, I don't know. even know what to do with that information. That hurts me. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't <laughs> I am such a Yeah, it's 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 the orphan component, it's the human component standing with yeah. alongside gods. He's a problem solver. Bruce Wayne is a designer, Boom. okay? There you go. Uh-huh. There you you go. know what the biggest scope creep problem is? <laughs> crime in Gotham City. I officially hate okay? Brian. <laughs> if there ever was a way to end this episode, I think Brian just did it. You got it all the way back around. That was amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, Beautiful. On that note. Awesome. <laughs> Cheryl, thank you so much for joining oh, us. Oh, thanks awesome. so much. This was Cheryl, fun. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Thank you for um yeah, thank you for just walking us through your mm-hmm. journey with the monster known as uh, Yeah, Spider-Man. and there better be merch. Yeah. Yes. Oh, there will yeah. be. Yeah, I'm gonna, gonna be so much text merch. Kevin and tell yeah. him he's he's not doing his job if we yeah. don't get merch. <laughs> <laughs> he actually uh he sent me, I think we're going with that that one with the books on it. Uh, he sent me a colored version that looks so good. It's pretty much Oh, you have styled, to share it. So, awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. So good. Oh, Whoa. awesome. All right. Well. Well. All right, y'all. Guys. Well, yeah. um, I'm going to hang up now. John, we can hop <laughs> on a call. I'm going to hang up now. You guys are great. Well, you guys, do you have to stop <laughs> recording? Right, you, you might have to do that. Yeah. 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 I, I love that. There's this, like little banter of us figuring out how to use this at the end. This is great. We're going to cut right. this out. Stop. <laughs> oh my gosh.